This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are coming back through the state of Mississippi January 23rd. They will be at the Mississippi Coliseum in the Jackson area at uh, 7 p.m., and you can get uh, tickets through any regular ticket outlet. You can also go uh, straight to harlemglobetrotters.com forward slash tickets from the Globetrotter roster right now. We've got Buckets on the line with us. Buckets of all the nicknames that a Globetrotter could have. Buckets has got to be the best. What's going on? Oh, I'm doing well. I, they call me Buckets because I can score a lot of baskets in a hurry, and I like to say Buckets before I release my jump shot. Ah, so, okay, so you kind of – it makes it even worse when uh, the guy's calling it all the time and then uh, and then scoring points on you as well. So very cool, very cool. So how long have you been um, uh, with the Globetrotters? Uh, this is my 16th season, and I'm having a blast. I've been all over the world. Uh, more specifically, I've been to 83 countries Whew. and get, getting the opportunity to make people laugh and smile everywhere I go, even in Jackson. Absolutely. And it, tell me about how – a little bit about your story. Um, I, think, I think every kid who loves sports, even some that, that, that don't pay much attention to sports, everybody – has a time where they went and saw the Harlem Globetrotters. They're world famous. It's unlike really any other uh, sports team or entity that there is. The story is just completely cool and different and unique. So tell us about how you, 16 seasons with the Globetrotters, what's, what, what was your path that took you as a basketball player to the Globetrotters? Oh, well, that's a great question because each of us uh, on the team have different paths. I actually played uh, professionally in other places, CBA, D-League, and in Europe. And when I came back from Europe, one of the uh, Harlem Globetrotter scouts gave me a call, sent me on a uh, 10-day contract because they were already in season. And um, it's like an evaluation period. Then they signed me after six of those 10 days. And here I am in my 16th year and uh, having an amazing time. Is is there pressure that goes along with – not the winning and losing, obviously, but the I mean, you guys do some some really, really skillful tricks uh, through the course of the game, and uh, there's there's a lot of pressure. I would imagine maybe it is just watching it one time. You guys do it, uh, you know, repetitively. But is there a lot of pressure that goes into doing a lot of the tricks that you that you do on the floor? Um, I I would say so. I mean, especially when you come in as a newer player, but. Um... You know, you're expected to be perfect. You know, they um, these kids are hearing the stories of our predecessors, uh, Curly Neal, Metalark, Geese Osby, uh, Goose Tatum, Marcus Hain, and those guys are like basketball gods, so to speak, where they've done some such phenomenal things on and off the court that uh, our fans expect us not to miss. Yeah. You know? There's the pressure there. You're supposed to make any shot you take, no matter if you're dropping it from an airplane. Right. <laughs> so tell me, uh, tell tell folks listening, uh, maybe if they haven't uh, been to see the Globetrotters before, maybe they live in an area where uh, nobody comes by regularly. 
and they get a chance to, what's what's the show sort of like that you get to see when the Globetrotters perform? Well, um, it's a basketball with a comedic um, uh, aspect to it, um, comprised of uh, phenomenal athletes that are, um, you know, jumping out of the gym, great basketball players, great entertainers, lots of high-flying dunks. Um, Guinness World Record shots that, uh, you know, we got 17 Guinness World Records as a team, but some of those shots are being taken uh, in that arena. Um, wow. Lots of crowd participation. We love to pull kids out on the court and have fun with them, as well as, well as uh, some parents and grandparents, so adults out on the court. Um, uh, also, uh, there's a lot of other things. We have an amazing mascot named Globy, and then his big brother, Big G, who also has a little performance during one of our breaks. We got the Flying Globies. Um, they're a trampoline dunking team that comes out also during one of the breaks, doing a bunch of crazy backflips and twists through the air to slam dunk the ball. Also, after the, every single game, we sign autographs before we head into the locker room. So it's wholesome family entertainment where you're getting three generations on the same page, which is tough to do these days. you got the grandkids and grandparents uh, and the parents all laughing just alike. Absolutely. I, I know it has to be special for – for you guys, uh, for the smiles that you put on uh, kids' faces, and that's something that 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 it it really has to be difficult for that to get old. I mean, that's something that's got to renew you just about every day, right? Oh, for sure, and it keeps you young. Um, you know, it definitely transcends the basketball court because not only uh, we're making people laugh and smile on the court, but off the court, we have so many community reach out outreach programs, um, anti-bullying, character education. Um, um, fighting childhood obesity with our spin program, and my favorite one is our hospital visits called the Smile Patrol. Um, trying to get as many smiles out of the kids as possible uh, that are in the hospital, despite what they're in there for, because those are the kids that can't make it to our games, or they're not going to be at the schools and and the YMCA's and recreation centers that we visit. How cool is it? How do you ever get a chance? Because I know you guys are touring all the time. Do you ever get a chance to stop and think about? You know the, the how how what a great opportunity it is for you to be able to do the thing that you love basketball and to be able to have this kind of positive effect on the community at the same time. Oh, I think about it all the time. You know, it's something that uh, you know I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, it was definitely a, a decision I made. I had an opportunity to go play professional basketball um, back over in Europe or in other places, um, even after I uh, got with the Globe Charters, but. You can't pay me for peace of mind and opportunity to give back. You know, I, I think um, we have a, such a positive impact, you know, on, on not just kids but adults. Even uh, um, I can remember since this is my 16th season, I remember when, um, you know, the economy went bad as far as uh, uh, housing and, and people were losing their homes. and You know, we were just that, that – uh, 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 grilled cheese and, and tomato soup that feel good entertainment where um, we were very affordable even when people were low on money and they come watch us play for the, at least two hours we take their minds off of some of their troubles so um, that really stuck with me and I really wear this uniform with a lot of pride so that's something I do think about quite a bit Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. That sounds delicious right now actually. Um, <laughs> tell me about you mentioned uh all of the, the, the Guinness World Records that you guys have. I know you have a couple of those. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the underhanded half-court shot record that you have. Um, 
I made the most underhand half-court shots uh, in uh, one minute. Actually, I, I made six in 46 seconds. Um, and uh, to be politically incorrect, it's the granny shot. Shout out to the grannies out there. <laughs> um, and then also um, with four of my teammates on live television on Good Morning America, um, the record we had to break was uh, 200 half-court shots in one hour, and we made 348 in one hour. <laughs> I'd say you got there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was pretty awesome. You know, the pressure was on. It was live television, and, you know, you just had to keep launching them from half-court for an hour. And um, uh, I, I think uh, not only did we surpass the record, we shattered it, but – um, you know, let people know that it's a lot of skill involved with the Harlem Globetrotters, but um, also it's a lot of confidence. We give each, we give each other that positive encouragement that we need, and we feel like we can make any shot that we take. All right. So one other record that I see that you uh, that you hold just right here is uh, shooting from atop the Tower of the Americas in San Antonio. A 583-foot shot. Now, the first thing I thought is, set the shot aside. I mean, was that – how frightening was that? Do you have a fear of heights? I know I'd be I'd be shaking in my boots that high up. I'm starting to feel like I'm the only one in this world that's not scared of heights. <laughs> no, Didn't bother you at all, okay? No, I don't have a fear of heights at all. I took a shot uh, from the lift that takes you up to Stone Mountain in Atlanta at 342 feet before that. Wow. And that lift was on a cable, so it was dangling, like, and hanging, and the wind was blowing, making it move. So that was a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more sketchy, if you will, than um, just being on top of the tower. Um, So I'm not really scared of heights. So I had a lot of fun doing that. But 583 feet and 8 inches, got to throw that 8 inches in there. There you go break my record. <laughs> All right, so you came from uh you play college basketball at Wyoming. So tell us about that. Uh landing at Wyoming, was it still the whack at that time that you were playing in? Uh when I first got there it was the whack and then it changed into the Mountain West and uh, uh what a great experience. Uh the fans there are amazing. Um I think we played a team in from Mississippi. Where's Alcorn State? That's yep, they're in uh they're in Lorman, Mississippi, yep. Yeah, we played them when I was at Wyoming. Um, um, but it was a great experience having the opportunity to uh, play college ball at its highest level in NCAA and, and you know, play against some great players who, you know, have uh, um, left their teams and played for the Globetrotters or went to the NBA or played over in Europe and then still bumping into those guys after all these years and telling our little war stories on the court. Um, it's pretty awesome to have that college experience, and I'd encourage any kid um, who wants to be a college athlete, whether it's basketball or other sports, to pursue it. Um, it's an experience uh, like no other. All right. Well, very cool. Anytime I see Wyoming college basketball, i got to drop a Finnis Dimbo reference because uh, it, it makes me sound halfway smart or either a dork, one or the other. I can't tell. But uh, uh, now i got a I got a Buckets-Blakes reference that I could throw on top of that. Actually, I think I'll replace my Finnis Dimbo with a Buckets-Blakes reference anytime Wyoming basketball comes up. Yeah, now, um, you know, then I'd, I'd have to question your intelligence if you said Dennis Fimbo instead of Finnis Dimbo, because most, <laughs> <laughs> most people get it confused. But, no, he, he was a, definitely a Wyoming legend, along with Reggie Slater and Theo Ratliff. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. Of course, yeah. All right. All right we'll see. Guys, yeah. 
those guys were amazing. Theo Ratliff, great shot blocker. Reggie Slater, great rebounder, and uh, just a just all out beast. And there was another guy named Tim Bro who also went there, went to the NBA. Yeah. Um, but Wyoming, the highest court in the nation, uh, and they let you know there are signs all over the arena saying, "Hey, two, uh, two, uh, was it uh, seven thousand two hundred and twenty feet? How's your oxygen?" Oh my goodness, that is way up. Hi. So, all right, January 23rd, Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson. And then for folks listening on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, you'll also be back around to the Mobile, uh, the Mitchell Center at the University of South Alabama campus, uh, February the 20th at 7 p.m. Buckets, man, thank you so much for your time and all the best to you and continued success, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, have a great rest of your evening. Can't wait to come check you guys out and get some of that Southern cooking. (laughs) Well, some of that Southern cooking. All right, so as I mentioned there, they'll be in the Jackson area, and then also for folks on the Gulf Coast, they're going to be swinging back around in February and playing the Mitchell Center at South Alabama in Mobile. So chance for uh, a couple of different areas in the state to go see. Our own Globetrotters. When we come back from the break, we'll speak with Mississippi's own Tori Bowie, an Olympian and current track and field world championships gold medal winner, and also later on the legend Ralph Boston, Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer, National Track and Field Hall of Fame inductee from Laurel, and he's a legend whose story we'll bring to you. You're listening to MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening on this Thursday morning. With us now, a uh, Southern Miss Golden Eagle and also a world champion Olympian right here from the state of Mississippi, Rankin County, Sand Hill, Mississippi, Tori Bowie on the program with us. Tori, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, actually. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. We're gl- so glad that uh, you had some time to spend with us and uh, uh, glad to just catch up with you. Uh, uh, coming up, 2020 Olympics, uh, what you're preparing for now. Uh, for folks who don't know, of course, people who are, who are you know, very close to your sport or connected or, or, or watch the Olympics and know a lot about it, know a little bit about what goes on between the Olympics. But for those who don't, because they're so far apart, what is it that you're doing, uh, generally speaking, in between the Olympics? How, how are you preparing, staying in shape? Well, Right now, to like um, stay in shape for the Olympics, um, I actually have a few championships in between. Um, right now, um, I'm actually getting ready to run a race um, February 3rd, and um, it's at the it's called the Mirror Games. Um, I'm gonna try to do the nationals as well next month, and if I qualify and get top two or top three, then I would get to compete at the World Championships. And and then. Um, in 2019, we actually have an outdoor world championship that I'll be preparing for. 
and then then I can start planning for the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Okay, so how do you mentally go about preparing for? Uh, and as we, I think we've seen this a lot with the Olympics, and and you see stories that go both ways with this. People train for years and years and years for a specific thing that takes 10 to 20 seconds and the rest of their career or all of their training, whether or not it's successful or not in the court of public opinion is kind of judged on what happens in those 10 to 20 seconds. How, how do you deal with that mentally, especially when you, when you were at the games as you were this last summer Olympics and you're on the block and all of the work that you put in and you know, okay, well here it is. Uh, the next 10 to 20 seconds is going to dictate whether or not all of this was worth it or not. How, how do you prepare for that? I guess we never really know that we're prepared. <laughs> right. Like whether or not we're prepared, but I think we just have to like go in with high hopes and a lot of confidence that with what we've already done, you know, get to that point. Is it that um, do you do you block that out? Is it something that just doesn't occur to you? Um, yeah, I, I try to block it out and just try to think you know, I always think on the positive side of things that, you know, you know, just trusting what I've done. Now, uh, let me ask you this. This is such an interesting your, – your story is, is so cool. You were doing uh, 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 track events, long jump, and you were watching because of an injury. Uh, you, you, were, uh, you, you were watching sprinters on television at home instead of competing and uh, told, your, and told your, your grandmother, right, that, hey, hey, I think I could beat those people. This is a world-class event you're watching on television, and you're like, I think I could beat them. And then now all of a sudden you're, you're a world-class sprinter. How did that come about? Um, yes, at the time, I, like my uncle was watching the Olympics, and I remember him you know, calling me inside to come in the house and watch it as well. And, you know, from that moment, I was just extremely excited. And I do remember saying that I would beat those ladies, but I never actually knew that it was going to happen. <laughs> At the time, I, th- I don't even think I know what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. How? how <laughs> let me ask you, how, how different are indoor and outdoor events? I noticed you mentioned that you got outdoors and then indoors. I know you've won uh, uh, championships in both. At, at Southern Miss, you won championships in both. Uh, what's the difference between those? Do you have to prepare differently, or is it the same kind of thing? Um, I guess it's a little different. It's a little different preparing for the indoor and outdoor championship, simply because when you're doing, when you're preparing for the indoor championship, you want you have to start implementing a lot of speed work a lot earlier than you would trying to prepare for an outdoor championship. So, as far as preparing for speed work, you have to you have to kind of change things up a bit. Tori Bowie is who we're speaking with. Uh, primarily competes in uh, long jump, 100 meter, 200 meter, uh, and uh, competed collegiately for Southern Miss, and uh, uh, has also won a gold medal in the four by 100 meter relay. Let me ask you just personal questions. There's no, uh, I'm not trying to get any like insight. Just asking you this personal question because every time I watch the relay events. Um, I get so nervous when the handoff is about to happen and I'm freaking out. And I know it looks seamless and it all happens in a blink of an eye, but is how much do you practice that? And is that a difficult thing to do? Or am I just freaking out for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know what? Before I actually did um, before I actually did it at the Olympics last year, I was kind of a little panicky about doing it too. 
But you know, we kind of like before before we actually compete, we they actually Team USA actually holds a relay camp so that we could go in for about a week or so and you know um, get acquainted with the rest of the girls. So it makes it a little bit easier because we had we had a little training, but at the same time, it's, you're, I think you're always going to be nervous when when the lights, you know, when those big lights come on and and you're completely new to to the event. absolutely tell me about uh, your background I know you won a couple of uh, state basketball championships when you played at Pisgah uh, in Rankin County there when you were in high school and uh, I've read where you said you grew up with sports all all through your life and described yourself as a tomboy so how how do you think that prepared you and and made you the, the, the athlete that you are today I think it compared me to just by growing up and, you know, being able to be in the yard with my cousins and most yeah. of my cousins at that. I think it just, like, gave me a, a very, very competitive edge at a very young age. You know, out there playing in the yard and everything, you know, I feel like my cousins never, ever cut me in the slack, you know, when it comes <laughs> to, you know, racing, you know, beating me or when it comes to blocking my ball, I'm trying to do a layup, you know. They never cut me in the slack. <laughs> So you know, I always I learned that I had to work for work for what I wanted. Yeah. Or if I wanted to win, I had to work for it. You know. So I think that that was one of the advantages. So what are you doing uh, these days? And I, I know you're in Florida right now. Your residence is in, in the, uh, Claremont, Florida. Uh, the the national championships you mentioned that you are uh, um, uh, practicing for and looking forward to before you get into these next Olympics. So what is it these days that's uh, keeping you busy and occupied? Right now, I'm just trying to get better in the sport overall, just trying to become a better athlete, you know, because uh, right now we're in the middle of, like, 2018 is just an indoor championship. We don't have an outdoor championship, Mm -hmm. which is the most important championship is the outdoor. So right now, I guess the main focus is just trying to become a better athlete overall so I can become, you know, looking looking, um, towards the bigger picture, which is the Olympics, you know? Mm -hmm. Right now, I want to get into the fashion world. Um, I hope I can get do some, you know, get into some modeling, you know, get some modeling gigs and things like that. Well, tell me about that. I've 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 read a little bit about what you're trying to do, getting into the fashion world. How how much are you able to dedicate? How much time are you able to dedicate to that? And how's that going? Well, I don't really know because I haven't done them both. But right now, I'm so I so want to take advantage of my time right now, and hopefully, I could find the right balance. To be able to do both, I know right now my main focus is um, track and field, and you know that's where my heart is. But if I could get four or five, you know, great modeling gigs with you know, <laughs> yeah, some great companies, you know, won't have to run anymore. Right? No, no, I would, <laughs> I would do both. I would do both for right. sure. I for sure can't neglect the sport. I mean, I have unfinished business here for sure. Absolutely. Uh, recently, in this uh, this current uh, Mississippi uh, uh, legislative session, uh, the state Senate um, introduced a resolution uh, recognizing you and congratulating you on everything that you've done so far in your career. How does that make you feel that that uh, you've been officially recognized by the state government of Mississippi for your your contribution uh, to uh, the Olympics and and being from the state of Mississippi? I am so humbled simply because years ago I made a comment saying that um, one day when I come to Mississippi, 
you know, I would have this huge sign, you know, welcoming me home. And, and it's just so amazing to just see it all, like, come together and to see in my state is, you know, acknowledging all of God's amazing work. Absolutely. You're in your mid-20s right now. Mm-hmm. I, I know there there have to be a lot of um, young women and girls that are looking up to you and, and you know, seeking you for wisdom and advice and things like that. How, is is that a is that a difficult thing to do to 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 juggle that balance that with what you're trying to do athletically and then you know having your personal life also and the things that you're trying to pursue outside of athletics and and uh, how much of that do you embrace? Well, you would think it was hard, but honestly, I feel like I'm doing the same thing that I've always done. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm doing what I love. Or, you know, I'm, I'm using my gifts, you know, and that's and it's the sport. But at the same time, I'm still living the way I've always lived. You know, I'm hanging out with my friends on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'm I'm a normal person just like everyone else, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm living my life, and I'm, and I'm thankful that I can inspire people while simply just being myself. So that's something that I am extremely thankful for. Well, I know you were. Uh, you told us right before we went on that you were just recently in Mississippi. So uh, we're glad that you were able to escape Snowpocalypse uh, 2018 here in in Mississippi, and glad you're safe uh, back in Florida. And uh, we thank you so much for your time this morning, and, and thanks for talking to us. No, thank you so much. All right, that was Tori Bowie, 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 Mississippi Olympian and uh, current world champion. Uh, Crazy her story. Um, A long jumper at Southern Miss and uh, was not a sprinter when she was there. I guess not not officially. Competitively. And now she's a Olympic gold medal winner in sprinting. And, well, let me... Bronze Olympic medal gold world championship. Right. Well, she also was on that four by 100 meter team. Uh, So, yeah, absolutely. Crazy stuff. All right. When we come back, another Mississippian from the Olympics, the legendary Ralph Boston, Laurel native. When we come back on MPB Season Pass. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Liz reached out to the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame recently to ask for some suggestions on interviews from uh, inductees into the Mississippi Sports Hall. And they immediately shot back with Ralph Boston, Laurel native, world record holder in the long jump, 60 through 68, Olympic medalist in long jump in the 60 Rome Games, the 64 Tokyo Games, and the 68 Mexico City Games. You want to talk about a legendary time uh, in Summer Olympics history. In addition to that, uh, the Pan American Games, the Pan Am Games champion in long jump in 63 and 67. An absolute privilege to have Ralph 
uh, on the program with us this morning. Ralph Boston, uh, good morning. Thank you for your time. How are you? Uh, a little bit cold. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm over just a little bit south of Atlanta, and I'm looking at the outside air temperatures at about below 30. That's that's kind of cold for a good old Laurel native. Oh. <laughs> well, Laurel is uh, Laurel has been under a blanket of snow uh, for a lot of this week, and uh, folks are losing their minds. They're having a lot of fun, or at least the kids are anyway, because uh, it is it's not a that is not a usual thing for the folks uh, down in the Pine Belt. Let me ask you oh, about. I, I remember that. I remember when we knew it was coming, we'd head out into the woods and. and <laughs> cut down a tree and uh, find some firewood and stock it up and sit there around the fireplace and tell stories and so forth. Yes. Absolutely. <clears throat> tell me about competing in the 60 Rome games, the 64 Tokyo games, and the 68 Mexico City games. And for me, from the aspect of, number one, you are a young man from Laurel, Mississippi. Now, this is 1960s Mississippi, and you compete right. in these three games that are in you know, three of the most, you know, iconic um, international cities on this planet. And, um, you know, the 68 games, I mean, there's 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 all sorts of, of history with the 68 Mexico City games. I think a lot of people remember. But just competing in those, those three cities in, in three very different parts of the world and getting to experience those places, which is, <laughs> especially in the 1960s, worlds away from Mississippi. Absolutely, and and uh, I don't think I could have put it better. You uh, you hit it right on, hit the nail right on the head. Worlds away from what I <laughs> was accustomed to. I, uh, for example, Rome. Uh, it was a one day competition. You uh, you competed in the qualifying round before noon, and the top, I think it was twelve or something like that, would come back at three o'clock and compete. Uh, for the for the medal from in, uh, in the medal round, and when I went into the stadium that morning, an eighty thousand seat stadium, Ooh. there was nobody there. It looked like the track meet that I ran <laughs> that I would run over at Jackson State when I was in high school. Yeah, but when I came back for the afternoon session, there was not an empty seat in the house. It was the scariest thing I have ever done in my life. I'd never seen that many people. Laurel at that time may have been twelve, thirteen thousand. Yeah. My goodness. Eighty thousand people <laughs> and you you know, your kidneys start to work. You gotta go to the bathroom, all kinds of things. But it was the scariest thing I have ever done in my life and without question it was the most gratifying too. I asked uh, we we also had a chance to speak with Tori Bowie this week and I asked yeah. her uh, especially these days with all of the technology that's involved and how specialized uh, the athletes are uh, and, and, you know, in spite of the, the amateur status and all of that kind of stuff, how specialized things are in their training uh, in their lifestyle, Olympic athletes these days. I asked her, how does, how do athletes deal with training for four, six years, sometimes for an event that's over in 10, 20 seconds. And then your future and your, legacy is kind of judged on that one thing uh you know and she 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 kind of she didn't really have an answer i guess it kind of is what it is if you're an athlete you could just kind of deal with those things but much like with what you're saying right here how did you handle stuff like that when when you're Um, seeing more people than you've ever seen at one place in your life and you've got to focus on what you're there to do yes yeah and and that that's that is the key i mean and one of the most helpful individuals for me 
was a guy named named James Cleveland Owens, J.C. Mm-hmm. Owens. He pulled me aside and he said, look, uh, the press is going to hound you. So, you know, be aware and be be cordial, be generous, as generous as you can, but not to a fault, but answer their questions and then get away because if you allow them, they will wear you down. They will they will cause you uh, all kinds of harm. And so Jesse was, was extremely helpful. And because of my entry into the, 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 the Rome Olympics, I got to meet people, Jesse Owens, being Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Right. Uh, and you just went on and on and on. There were people on those teams. Um, there was a guy named, he, he told me this with his own, in his own words. My name is Cassius Marcellus Clay. Right. And so you get to hang out with those folks, with Wilma and uh, uh, the Oscar Robinsons and the Jerry West <laughs> and so on. And, and, and it, 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 actually, the competition was the scariest thing I've ever done, but actually hanging with all those people, it was, it, it was un, unbelievable, if that's, if that's even close, unbelievable. Right to meet all those people how and and i know you know in in the middle of it you kind of it it's impossible to expect somebody to to wrap their brain around the enormity of what's happening to them at that point uh, especially because a lot of those people and, and most of their legacy was was still yet to unfold to a large extent but you know when did it hit you uh you know at, at what point in life did it hit you that you know that many you know, great, you know, legendary American athletes were in the same place at the same time. And you're one of those guys and you're part of that story. And as you began to move around, as you began to move around the country, uh, less than a year later, you're, uh, you're now on the indoor track and field circuit and you walk down um, Times Square, 42nd Street in New York, and somebody grabs you by the shoulder, spins you around and says, Hey man, aren't you Ralph Boston? And you go, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember driving uh, in a in a car. I was in L.A. for a meet, and some people pulled up alongside us at, at we, as we had stopped at a traffic light. And a guy yelled out of the car that was alongside and said, "Ralph Boston." And I said, "Oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> this is this is kind of woo." <laughs> Right. You know, Law of Mississippi didn't act like this. No. Right. No. Absolutely. Well, the, these these three games again that you were in in 1960. I mean, the the world politically was in uh, quite a state of tumult during that decade. You yes, sir. you traded records with uh, with Soviet athletes a handful of times uh, during that decade. What, what was how much? or any did you deal with political pressure that, that tried to make its way into uh, the Olympics and, and the events that you were doing? I, I think part of, part of my success um, was the fact that it was during the, the beginnings, the height, if that's the right word, of the Cold War. And I, as an American citizen, was against the Soviet Union, and it was the Cold War being fought. And, and it was myself against Igor, and, and, and there it was. I mean, that, we, were, we were instruments yeah. 
of the Cold War. We really were. And we talked about it a bit and said, you know, we are, we're, uh, we're instruments of, basically, we're instruments of the Cold War. And it was, um, it was kind of scary. Uh, he, he spoke at one time about leaving the Soviet Union. He was, there, was, there were rumors about his ideas to defect, his thoughts of defection. And, and it never happened, but, I mean, he would, he would talk and we would talk. Uh, I remember in Tokyo, he said to me, I was thinking of, of once the games were over that I was going to defect. But the, the, uh, I don't remember who he said they were, but someone said to him as he left coming to Tokyo, he said, they told him, we will take care of your family while you are gone. Mm. And he said, so there's, there's no way I can go back. No, I mean, there's no way I could leave my family. I'm right. not going to do that. Pretty remarkable, uh, and 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 to to think about you know moving forward some of the uh, the events between uh, the Americans and the Soviets, the the controversial finish in the basketball game in 1972, and then of course the one everybody thinks of is the 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 semifinal hockey game in 1980 at Lake Placid, right? And like you said, I mean it it turns out that you know it, it so many you know everyday americans who 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 can't i mean they're miles away from being able to touch politically what's going on in the world but it's it's like sports is their connection to that and kind of their badge um their badge of honor so to speak and, and uh did, did you were you able to understand i mean i know you guys you said you guys talked about that but in the midst of that were you able to understand what that meant and, and what, what you represented more than just the flag and maybe this conflict between two nations. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I was able then to totally understand it. And I can say, honestly, I'm not totally sure I understand it all now. I mean, here's a, here's a guy who grew up in Laurel, Mississippi. He could only go to certain places. He could not do uh, he could, let me tell you a story. When I was a 10th grader, um, I had begun to run and in Laurel, there was, um, um, uh, George S. Gardner high school. Uh, and my father and I would get on his wagon and we'd go into the other section of town and we'd, we would gather garbage so we could feed our pigs. That was part of our livelihood, you know. We, we we grew pigs. We grew hogs. Yeah. And I had seen a track behind that school, and I came over to that track. Um, it, it was, I mean, Laurel was only, I mean, it was a, a, maybe a 15-minute walk. And if I was rambunctious, I could have jogged it in almost no time. <laughs> but I remember going to that track and beginning to work out on that surface. We at my high school did not have a track. Our track was created with the big road grading machine going around the uh, the practice football field and, and cutting a, a track. That that was our running, our practice surface. So I remember going to that track, and I remember seeing two ladies sitting on, uh, I think two, maybe three, on the front porch, and they disappeared as I began to jog around the track. And shortly thereafter, uh, the police came, and they were very graphic about who I was and where I should be, and they ran me off and told me to get back to my sec- my part of town. 
And I said, wow. And if I can fast forward a little bit, after I came back from Rome, there was a parade downtown. Me in a parade? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just, a few years ago, I've been run out of this section of town. And wow, I just, that's, that's, that's amazing. It really is. And I, I can't imagine uh, the the kind of how you've been trained, I guess, ingrained to think uh, in a certain way. And then you go to another part of the world and, you know, many of the same people who probably have many of the same ideas all of a sudden, you know, now you're in a position where everybody is cheering for you and everybody has a common cause. That that that, that has to be interesting to think about. Uh, interesting is, is, is not even close. It has to be. <laughs> It has to be, I mean, I'm not even sure interesting is in the same uh, 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 area code, zip code. Right, right. Hemisphere. I remember once going to uh, uh, a town in in Switzerland, St. Gallen, a little small town. And there were four of us. Uh, We were going to be in a competition there. And we walked into the hotel and there was a group of American tourists in the lobby as we walked in. And there was, I don't know that he was necessarily the leader, but there was a more vocal person than most other people who were part of the group. And he saw us walk in. It was myself, a high jumper named Gene Johnson, a quarter miler who won the Mexico City Olympics named Lee Evans. Uh, and we were the only three. And we walked in to, to check into the hotel. That's where we were staying. And the next night, we were going to have a competition. Well, the guy who I was referring to a few moments ago, who seemed like a leader of the group, said, blankety blank, no matter where you go, you can't get away from, and he used the N-word. Okay, all right. The next night we had gone to the competition and we had won just about everything. We, we walked back in with a ton of trophies. Ton is an exaggeration, but these big old <laughs> hardware, all this hardware. And the guy, same guy, these people are standing in the lobby and the same guy yells, how'd we do? Because we're wearing <laughs> uniforms that say USA. He <laughs> said, how'd we do? Said, what the hell do you mean we? You're right. Are you out of your mind? That's last that's, night. I was the N word. Now it's a we. Now it's Whoa. we. Yeah, something's rotten in Denmark here. Okay. <laughs> We're speaking with uh, Ralph Boston, legendary uh, track and field athlete from uh, Laurel, Mississippi. And uh, let me ask you: nineteen sixty-eight, uh, after you had uh, finished your final Olympic competition. Uh, you worked for the University of Tennessee as coordinator of minority affairs. I did. And, and assistant dean of students. You did that I did. for, I think, seven or eight years. What was it About like holding years, yes. What was it like holding that position starting in the 1960s at this traditional, you know, it's SEC, man, the Southeastern Conference School? It was, it was uh, an experience. It was, without question, an experience. I think I probably learned more about me and about life, how to deal with life in that, in that job than I did uh, for the other 28 years, the, the, the previous 28 years, 29 years of my life. Uh, it, was, it was quite different. 
Uh, there were people that I, I had contact with. Um, one of the most famous University of Tennessee athletes, Conridge Holloway, the quarterback. Um, uh, you know, he came through as I was there. And, you know, he would always come over to, to, to prop his feet up in the office and just talk because he needed to talk uh, yeah. and so on. And there, there were those kinds of things uh, uh, that happened. And it was, it was very gratifying. I learned more about life, myself. Uh, it was just uh, it was an experience I, I, uh, I am absolutely ecstatic that I've had because it was such a wonderful life. How shall I say? Um, it, it was a wonderful experience pointing the way that life possibly is going to go. Right, right. And so it worked well. When you were in, I thought it worked well. When you were in college, you were an NCAA champion at Tennessee State University, which is an HBCU for folks who don't know. And when you when you accepted this position at the University of Tennessee, did you get blowback from people that you knew and were connected to at Tennessee State? No, no. I actually had tried to to remain at TSU um, as uh, in the athletic department. Um, and I, you know, I thought maybe I could possibly be the head track and field coach there, and I thought that made a little bit of sense because <laughs> maybe you know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but <laughs> but I thought that made sense. But it it didn't work out. So the University of Tennessee said our black student population is growing, and we understand that there is going to there, there is a need for a contact with that student population. And what do you think? And at that time, there was a, the governor of Tennessee uh, was a guy who was born in Mississippi. Oh, um, and anyway, he made a call to me. Somehow he got the word. He said, come see me. And I went to see him, and we talked, and he said, I think this is a good idea. Uh, and so, you know, wow. why don't we, uh, why don't you consider it? And so I went. Wow. The governor of Tennessee. How about that? Right. So uh, let me ask you, and we've just got a, about a minute and a half left here. And I, I mean, I don't have time, but I want to ask you about being in, uh, in Southern California in the eighties when, you know, that, that area of the track and field world kind of exploded in popularity and notoriety and, uh, you know, being in that culture right there. But, since we only have just this amount of time left, talk to me about your connection back to Mississippi and what Mississippi means to you now. I know you're, uh, you live in Georgia, uh, but I, I hear you reference Laurel a lot. I know you must be proud from where you come from. And what does Mississippi mean to you now? Um, this past Christmas was the first time, or the second time, I'm sorry, in 78 years that I have not been in Mississippi for Christmas. It was, in my mind, uh sad if that's if that's uh, if that word makes the point every year except for one year when i lived in southern california um i've been in mississippi for christmas visiting family and so forth and so on and I, truthfully i am mississippi i i grew up in mississippi uh oh i love picking the blackberries and the mayhaw <laughs> and playing the games and and growing up with the people um, and, and, and this was probably one of the saddest Christmases of my life 
uh, not being able to, not being in Mississippi and particularly in the Laurel Jackson area for for uh, for Christmas. I, I that that was just so odd for me. Wow. Right. Mr. Boston, thank you so much for your time this morning, and I'd love to talk to you again very soon. Uh, get Dig a little bit deeper into the actual athletics that you are such a legend at, and uh, we really do appreciate your time. Hey, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Ralph Boston, ladies and gentlemen, bucket lister for me. Thanks to Liz Gill for setting that up, our producer. Also, Tori Bowie on the program today. And buckets from the Harlem Globetrotters. And a uh, reminder to you again, they're going to be at the Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson next Tuesday at 7 p.m. You can get your tickets online at their website or any ticket distribution websites as well. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart is next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.